Well, hello and welcome to episode two of Hobby in Lockdown. My name's Abe, aka Beardy Hammer. And on today's show, we have JP, the 30K Wolverine from the Age of Darkness podcast. If you haven't heard the Age of Darkness podcast, you should check it out. But today, we're going to talk all things 30K. We're going to talk about his hobby and what's happening on the ground in Canada during COVID-19. JP, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. No problems at all. Now, you're in uh, Ontario in the fine country of Canada. How is Ontario coping with COVID-19? I am not, in fact, in Ontario. I'm in the neighboring French part. Uh, I'm not that far from Ontario, though. I'm orig- Actually, you know what? You are technically correct. I come originally from Ontario, uh, but I moved to Quebec. Um, so I'm, I'm one of those horrible, evil French people that live in North America. <laughs> um, how are things going here? Um, things are things are pretty well locked down here. Um, I'm actually pretty impressed. Uh, people have been very reasonable and very, um, uh, uh, very responsible and, and, and keeping, you know, keeping their distance and staying home. Uh, here's the thing that one of the things that, and I, I think anybody that listens to this, and, and I think you'd probably agree with me that what, what makes our gaming different than, for example, um, a video, uh, the video game community, I think we all cherish the actual human interaction of uh, sitting across the table from our friends and, you know, crushing a beer and, and rolling some dice and actually having real interactions. And that's something that we can't do right now. And I think it's really, it's hitting the community hard. That said, there is something wonderful about um, having something that you can do by yourself at home. So that makes it a little, gives it a little bit less sting. But yeah, I think we all... Uh, miss our friends. So yeah, things are pretty well shut down. Mm. I was really surprised actually when I looked on social media about the amount of hobbyists that are having issues around the isolation because I, I, mean, I suppose for my hobby and a lot of the people I know tend to kind of just basically do their hobby, occasionally go and game. But it's interesting people are feeling that disconnection from the community as a whole despite the massive presence that the hobby has uh, right across social media. Social media I think is like a poison pill. Right. Uh, Everybody hates it. Everybody despises it. But right now, do we ever need it? It's 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 really kept a lot of communities together. Like uh, I I think everybody appreciates the Facebook groups and just more broadly, the the social media community, like podcasts like like yours. It it allows people to feel that they are still connected, even though that the responsible thing to do right now is, you know, that whole flattening the curve thing. You, you, You stay at home. It allows people to feel uh, more connected, and it's been heartwarming. the The messages that we've gotten from from fellow uh, horse heresy nerds um, telling us how much they appreciate, like my podcast, Asian Darkness, how much they appreciate us still putting out shows. And, and I feel the same way about um, all the podcasts and everybody that's that's actually putting out content. Uh, everybody that's putting pictures up on groups like Crusade and Heresy. I can only imagine how people felt. A uh, hundred years ago, during the Spanish, you know, the Spanish flu, when you really did not have any uh, contact, if you want to be responsible, stay at home. So, social media—it's horrible. We all hate it. We all despise it. It's a poisonous cesspool. But God damn it, if it's not um, keeping us uh, connected right now. <laughs> and certainly, I mean, you've been in the hobby for a long time, and I mean, obviously, if this had happened, you know, twenty years ago or even thirty years ago, it would have looked very different. Where did you start in the hobby, and why? What, what is what is the origin story? Of JP. Oh, oh, that's an interesting one. It all started with a radioactive hero quest that bit me uh, <laughs> in the late 80s and turned me into the mutant monster that I am today. I started in the hobby. I, the, uh, what I would consider the beginning of the hobby is I think a lot of people of my generation, I was born in the early 80s. So, so by 88, 89, 
uh, I got a copy of HeroQuest and it got kind of like, you know, we kind of got obsessed with that myself and, and a couple of my friends, including my former co-host and still um, infrequent contributor, uh, Mark. We started playing HeroQuest and then I guess in the early 90s, maybe 92 or 93, we discovered that, you know, these little stupid little orc models. Well, there's a whole community uh, that produces and paints these stupid little models and they look a lot better than the uh garbage uh from uh milton bradley even though i mean they, they look pretty good but like can, when you when you look at that and then you look at your first blister pack with actual proper uh detailed pewter models i mean it's not the same thing at all so we discovered that at a certain point and we got our first kits of the uh rg01 oh. Um, space Marine box, you know, the 30 Space Marines for $20. <laughs> and inflation, okay, in, uh, everybody's, oh, that's $20 in 1993. It's like, yeah, but like, inflation hasn't been that high since 1993. So it's still a great deal. You're probably like 50, maybe like 40 bucks today, but like mm. imagine having 30 Space Marines for that much money. So yeah, I discovered that and uh, I've been doing it ever since. So yeah. that's kind of the origin story. It's not a very interesting one. Uh, the, the the mutant hero quest bite was probably a better one, but you know the reality is kind of lame. But that's what happened. <laughs> I, I'm actually amazed the amount of people who did get into the hobby from hero quest. I suppose things are probably a bit different in Australia. We did have hero quest, but I think it seems to have had a much bigger impact internationally than maybe it did here. Uh, the thing with uh, hero quest and also battle masters, which was the other big one that a lot of people played in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, the other gateway drug. Uh, if you will, uh, it's because it was available at Toys R Us. You didn't have to go downtown to the specialty stores. And as a way of actually getting people into the community, into the hobby, I mean, there's it's still the best way that you can do it. And Games Workshop started doing something similar uh, recently. They uh, actually started coming out with a couple of base cheap kits that they're selling at major uh, retailers that aren't uh, specialist stores. Because when you're a kid, your dad's not, you know, I don't have any money. You know, you, you, your dad's not bringing you to those stores, to the specialty stores to spend like a million dollars on these models. But, <laughs> you know, you might be lucky enough to get a chance to pick a board game from Toys R Us. So I think that's why uh, games like Hero Quest and Battle Masters was so influential for us. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I mean, Age of Darkness concentrates basically on the epic events of the Horus Heresy. So what about this period attracts you? And how'd you get to the Horus Heresy? The Horus Heresy... I was a few years late getting to the Horus Heresy after the Black Library novels um, dropped. It's actually... I had kind of drifted from the hobby in the 2000s. Uh, you know, I went to university and, you know, drank a lot of beer and, you know, <laughs> like did, did like adult things. I, I got back in the hobby. I reconnected with some old friends uh, in, in, in like maybe around 2010 or something like that. And it's like, and I, I love this stuff so much. And I kept all my models. I didn't throw anything away. I'm a pack rat. Mm. So I had boxes and boxes of Imperial Guard from the 90s. So uh, we interacted and, and it's like, hey, dude, they're, they're, they're putting out the Horse Heresy series. They're actually making Horse Heresy. It's like, that doesn't sound right. And it's like, oh, yeah, read, read this. This is Horse Rising. It's like, okay. And what I liked about Horse Rising um, and uh, uh, like the Horse Heresy as a setting, as I was uh, getting into it, was just the effort at a certain amount of realism. And I want to put that in major quotes. Um, <laughs> the Horse Heresy tried to give a feeling of that this is a real world, it's a real breathing world. The only example I can think of, and again, I hadn't read all the 40k books, but I read some Gaunt's Ghost stuff um, eventually, and and it was similar in that it, it breathed life and it breathed realism into it. It's like, okay, this is a real 
uh, military campaign and not just a bunch of archetypes. Archetypes that I love. You know, I love the sci-fi feudal world and I, I, I love all that stuff. But it felt that the horse heresy injected a breath of, uh, of again, quote-unquote realism into this universe. So I, I absolutely love the Horse Heresy, uh, the Black Library series. And then in 2012, they, because um, no one thought they were going to do it. No one thought they were going to do this. But I remember a video showed up and it's like coming soon. The Horus Heresy is like, oh my God, I'm in. So I bought a book one betray, uh, betrayal as soon as it went on pre-order and I've been obsessed with it ever since. Um, it's and an amazing book, that it, betrayal uh, one. Fantastic. I mean, oh. the layers and layers of detail. I haven't kept up with a lot of those black books as they've gone along, but just the levels of detail in that book is just amazing. What's incredible, is, and it doubled down, 30K and 40K are different. They are all in the same universe, but they're two different types of tel- ways of telling a story. 40K was never a story. It was a sandbox. It was a setting. 40K, the way that it was designed, it was supposed to be an open-ended role-playing game that you can, you can tell any type of story that you want within 40K, within the 41st millennium. It, it, was, a, it was tools, because it was designed as a role-playing game in the 80s. So it was a set of tools. You can do anything, uh, anything you want with it. It doesn't follow. And, and this is the big distinction between the way 40K developed over the last couple of decades and the last few years ever since 8th uh, uh, edition dropped. Is that right now they're telling a story again. But that was never the way it was originally designed. It was, a, it was an open-ended sandbox kind of role-playing game that you can tell any story you want. The Horus Heresy is fundamentally different. Uh, Horus Heresy reads like future history. Uh, and the way that uh, Alan Bly um, and the rest of the creative team that was behind the Forge World uh, Horus Heresy books designed it is they wrote it as history. My favorite little detail that a lot of people forget about, and I study history, uh, uh, one of the things that, that I really love is sometimes you talk about their sources, which is if you read history articles, history books, like academic stuff, that's the first thing you do is your methodology, historiography, right? You do, do your historiography. What have people said about it in the past? Where are your sources? Where are you getting this information? And, and that small detail for me um, is so important because it, it injects such a, a realism in it. It's like, how do we know this happened? Well, you have to look at this grimoire and this book and um, uh, some old scholars, some remembrancers had, had discussed it in the past. Um, it's a different way of writing, writing the story than you get in 40K, which is often a little bit more, uh, more narrative, if you, if you will, instead of a little bit more with an academic tone. And I think it was done on purpose because you're talking about a future history. So that's the thing I love the, the, the most. There are two different ways of approaching a story. You're right. I mean, one of the things that about those black books that was fantastic was the, the multi-layered history bit. So, I mean, the thing I took out of that first, first black book, Betrayal, was that I wanted to do Warhound's Legion, which no one does. But the things, the, the, the evidence where there was there, the bits and pieces were there. You go and go to the other books, the other novels, the other source material, and you find bits and pieces of information to piece that all together. And it creates this universe. It's like almost treasure hunting. Yes, I, I, I completely agree because they don't give you all the information, especially with regards to, for example, um, things like the Imperial Heralds and the Dusk, the Dusk Raiders and the old versions of the Legions. Mm. Yeah, you have to piece things together. And it, it, it is fun because it, it encourages you to... Build things like you would um, if this is a historical war game. That's what they wanted. That's the feel that they wanted. Um, so it's like, what, what is the color plate? What do these look like? I'm going to have to look it up. And it's not like 40K when you're like, you can wing it a little bit more. I mean, you can make the heresy anything that you want it to be, right? But part of that fun is to try to piece things together and, and, and try to 
uh, find a way to make it as quote unquote realistic as you can. Mm. And it comes down like even, even, even painting styles. Uh, if you look at uh, for the first, I would say five or six years of the horse heresy, um, all the models were painted in a very quote unquote realistic um, sort of weathered style, muted colors. They, they took a lot of techniques from military modelers mm. instead of the more uh, line highlighted, uh, saturated uh, colors of 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 you know the what we call the heavy metal style. You can tell that I've been listening to Miles for a while. <laughs> I was gonna say, who am I talking to? Yeah, well, you know, it's like it's osmosis. Eventually, like it rubs off on you. I guess I'm slowly learning this stuff. I'm not I'm not a better painter, but <laughs> I can talk about it better. I kind of understand what happened here. Um, like I'm not 100 percent sure, but my my theory is that uh, they tried to harmonize their painting styles so that the stuff of the horse heresy kind of looks like everything else. Cause a uh, games workshop has a house style. It is again, very saturated colors, uh, not a lot of weathering. You're not going to see weathered boots in games workshop, heavy metal house style and a lot of uh, line highlighting. And I think that the reason they do, and I think it makes sense is that it shows off the model because the product that you're, you're buying from games workshop is uh, the figurine. And it shows, uh, and it's the best way to show off the model on a picture or a magazine. I, th- I think it makes sense. I understand uh, why they would go this direction. It's just that's not what I want for my heresy. I want mud. I want bullet holes. I, I want scrapes. That's what I want. Because for me, um, having a setting that is really like a future military conflict. Do you think some of this is them uh, creating a style for the Great Crusade? <laughs> I I wish I wish I could say that it was between you and me. I think it's a business decision. It would be rad if they went in the direction of the Great Crusade. Um, I, I should note, uh, like, shout out to um, the powerful Andrew Hollis, uh, who is is actually putting out uh, Zeno's uh, Great Crusade books, like uh, like codexes for the Horse Heresy. Um, uh, a couple other people are doing something similar. I seriously hope that they do eventually do this. I think that when they finish the Horse Heresy. Eventually, one day, I think they're going to move into the scouring, not the Great Crusade. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, being Warhounds Legion, I suppose I'd love to see Great Crusade. That being said, having spent so much time creating what this Legion looks like, everything from their markings to their everything, um, because there's nothing out there. I, I'm also worried because I've spent so much time building this. If they come along and go, actually, this is what it looks like. I'm like, well, I've got 80 ground troops painted this way. What am I going to do? Yeah, well, then you start a new army, right? It's true. What a terrible thing. I mean, how awful to paint new miniatures. And then then you send the same games workshop, you send more money to the UK, which is, you know, way more expensive than it needs to be because you're in Australia and you guys get screwed all the time. Yeah, we do. Now, when um, yeah, yeah, let's let's move on so I don't cry too much. I did um, I did take a uh, a photo of my my hobby room, so I'm lucky to have a spare room where I am. And I uh, I took a photo of all the stuff that I have, and I've got about thirty plus years worth of hobby just stacked up on shelves, right? Now, so much so, I have my RTB Marines in their original box. And only about half, and only about half of them are made. Um, you know, and so oh, much so wow. that the boxes are, are collapsing now because it's just under the weight of the other ones. They use them, like just build them up and paint them as uh, as, as warhounds. Like uh, they they fit fine. They're tiny. You know what? Someone pointed out, uh, pointed this out to me. Uh, a lot of people like complain about scale creep, but someone pointed out that if you look at the original lore from from Rogue Trader from 1987, Space Marines weren't 
giant super soldiers. They were just roided up barbarians. In yeah. Power. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they weren't any bigger than anyone else. That's exactly right. Now, one of the things I'd heard from someone many years ago was one of the main inspirations for the way Space Marines fight was the first 20 minutes of a movie called Excalibur from 1982. Um, <laughs> and if you've ever seen that film, have you seen that film? I haven't. I literally had an argument about this. Like a couple days ago, I was recording uh, Age of Darkness and I, I got into an argument about not having seen Excalibur. That's it. I'm seeing Excalibur. So, I mean, look, the film is super trippy and super weird, but um, the way the guys fight, just this brutal smashing of armor against each other, um, I th- it's supposed to be a major inspiration. There's a guy, there's a couple of guys in there that look a little bit like Space Marines with their, you know, studded shoulder pads and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, so that's where that comes from. Um, you know where the backpacks come from, eh? No. Like the shape of the backpack? They're supposed to look like Napoleonic uh, backpacks with like a bedroll on top. Oh, that so, makes so much sense. Yeah, that's what they tried to do. They wanted to make it look like a military model and, and just to bulk up the model. That's why they decided to make the uh, the backpack the way it is with the two vents on either side. It, it's supposed to look like a uh, Napoleonic. That is so cool. I never knew that. Yeah, well, I'm learning stuff too. This is great. <laughs> So when uh, this lockdown was first announced, a lot of hobbyists saw this as a great opportunity to kind of hack into the pile of plastic, resin, white metal, even lead. I've still got some lead hanging around. Has this been the case for you? Have you got to really hack into what you'd want to do? Oh, ugh. Okay, one of the things, again, I don't know if anybody's listened to The Age of Darkness, but uh, there's one, one, one of the recurring themes is my inability to get anything done. Um <laughs> We keep doing hobby challenges and I keep winding up covering myself in shame. The uh, um, it, this is weird. Like the, ho- the lockdown for me has been weird because I work from home most of the time anyway. So my normal day doesn't look that different than it was before the lockdown, except for that. I can't, you know, I can't go to the library or I can't, you know, do stuff like that. Um, I was already, you know, I have my home office and everything like that. Um, it's just, I feel that. I've been less productive than I should be, even though objectively not a lot has changed. And I read a lot of articles about this, too, about the exhaustion of uh, surrounding, you know, just getting by in, in, in this really difficult period. Right. It's exhausting. And, and, and you, you, you also put a lot of pressure on yourself to be productive. And that also is exhausting. So you have a situation, you have like a feedback loop between I need to be productive and I'm exhausted and then I'm exhausted. So I'm not productive, all that stuff. Um, so. I have been working, but honestly, I haven't been that much more productive. I'm, I'm, I am trying to get some stuff done. I'm working on my Titanica stuff right now, which is still the best game that Games Workshop produces right now. I don't know. Have you been playing Titanicus? Yeah, look, I haven't been playing, but I have been doing some hobby. I've just actually finished my second Reva yesterday. I mean, they're great to paint. It's What's really interesting is changing your painting style so that it's in scale. And I see a lot of people online with heavy weathering, and I'm like, dude, that heavering is that weathering is way too heavy for something that size. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that, that's bugging me a little bit is all the rust streaking mm. on on um, that a lot of people are doing on uh, Titanic's models, and and it shouldn't look like that at that scale. So uh, yeah, I, I totally understand. You have to change the way that you approach the model. It has to be cleaner, and you need to make all those big panels interesting. And I think that's why the um, uh, the marble technique is so popular these days because it gives a little bit of visual interest in um, in those big flat panels. My uh, first white dwarf was issue 120 back in the day, and I believe that was the one that had the... Um, uh, yeah, Griffonicus. The Griffonicus, yeah, exactly. And they had those marbled plates on their armor. 
Um, and, the, the, you know, these plates were done by Jess Goodwin, so they were gorgeous, these gorgeous colour plates just in the, the issue. And I've always looked at marbling, and I've seen people do tutorials online, and for the life of me, I can't get my head around it. Have you? Uh, the, the marble, it's not that hard. Really? Honestly, I thought it was hard. Well, it's because it's... Uh, okay, um, my, my co-host, Miles, is one of the people that... he If I... He didn't invent it. He was going to tell you right... Well, I didn't invent it, but he, like... He definitely popularized and perfected it. So I, I think he deserves more credit than he's willing to give himself for uh, the, 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 the marble technique. It's not that hard. You just need to practice a few times. Now, the great thing about uh, the Titanic's models, they come with a bunch of spare plates. And by the way, if you are stuck at home and you have some, a lot of spare time, this is a good uh, opportunity to practice something because it's not that hard. Um, and it's also based on drawing out a baby wipe. It's surprisingly easy. All you do is uh, get some crappy baby wipes from the dollar store, dry one out, take one out of, of, of the pack, dry it out, then stretch it over the plate, and then you spray that. Oh. And that'll give you the marble pattern. It's actually not hard. And after you've done it like maybe two or three times, not like 20 times, but like two or three times, you get a pretty goddamn passable marble. That's amazing. Uh, you need to start with... Um, okay, this is important. You need to start with the the non-marble color because the patterning the patterning of the baby white um and i think you could use a dryer sheet as well uh which will have so if you pull it apart a little bit you'll have like oh no you start with the black that's right you have to paint over the black because all that like the pattern of pulling apart the baby white that's going to be the marbling and it looks really good again try it on a spare piece practice two or three times but like honestly after that you should be good and i'm an idiot i'm a terrible hobbyist (laughs) and even i managed to actually do a pretty good job after like trying it for like three times i was like damn that was pretty good (laughs) wow that sounds really cool i think you've inspired me and hopefully inspired others that's really great you get a chance and also uh, i don't want to get yelled at my miles so you can also find more information about how to do the marble technique on the little legends patients uh (laughs) painting studios patron page for only $16, you can actually get f- all, all of the information, um, all of his tutorials. So definitely check out Little Edge's Painting Studio on Patreon. There you go. Miles can't yell at me now. There you go. See? Good on you, Miles. Thanks. Thanks, Miles, for joining the podcast in, in a virtual way. <laughs> um, now, tell me, obviously, you, you haven't got a lot of hobby done during this time necessarily and been working on your Titanicus. Um, and I must admit, I haven't had a lot done either, which is really disappointing. What is that project? What is the thing that you would really like to have at this point really just dug into? Here's an idea. Here's a project. I'm going to do this while I'm in lockdown. What is it? Okay. Number, number one, I want to make some, I, I, I really want to get that out there. We shouldn't feel pressured at this time to be productive. Mm. It is not good for anybody's mental health. Um, it is already an exhausting and stressful period. Do not feel like you need to be incredibly productive. And whatever you do for your hobby is good. Don't feel pressured. I, I just want to make it because uh, a lot of people get really stressed out mm. and it doesn't make them any productive. Mm. That said, uh, like what I really wanted to get done was finish my bases. I've been working on uh, trench work bases for my, uh, my, my maniple. So I was hoping to, uh, and also like a display board. And this is all supposed to be done before Adepticon, which got canceled at the end of uh, March. Um, I've been working on, I've been plugging away. Um, I'm hoping to get it done in the next couple of weeks. I've been pushing myself to try to do a little bit at a time. Uh, there's uh, one of the things that people are doing is like, you know, just try to do an hour a day. Even, even if, it's, if it's cutting things off spruce, try to do an hour of hobby a day. But uh, um, yeah, I've been trying to, 
you know, plug away at uh, finishing those bases. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That's a really nice productive thing to do. And it doesn't have to take a ton of time. You can do bits and pieces here, there and everywhere, which is probably a good way because you're right, look, it is exhausting. Some of us, if you're working from home, your hobby area is now also your work area. And that's a thing as well. So, you know, you want to get out of that ideally. So um, now tell me, Age of Darkness is one of the first 30K podcasts. Uh, You've been around for a long time now. Um, How healthy do you see the 30K community at the moment? I think that we are in a way healthier place than we were... I want to say three years ago, two years ago. When Alan Bly died, it sort of kneecapped uh, the, 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 the community. I would say that I, I think heresy hit, it hit a point where I think it rivaled 40K in, in popularity in a lot of circles, especially in places like uh, Australia. Um, not so much in Canada, I must admit. I think what happened around the time towards the end of 7th edition where, uh, yeah, the two box sets that came out, um, uh, Betrayal Kelf and uh, Burning of Prospero, I think that they really made it easier to get into the hobby. And a lot of the things that people disliked about 7th edition, um, which was, you know, it wasn't balanced and it wasn't a lot of fun. People like people that, that were fundamentally 40K players, people that really liked 40K that didn't, care about the lore and the background and didn't like consume all the black library novels and buy all the black books what they did like is that okay it's balanced because everybody's using the same army (laughs) so this point where it got really popular and and you could see it by our numbers because we've been doing this show since 2015 and and around that time like holy shit there's a lot of people listening to this um and we haven't lost that much uh since then um, but it's been, you know, the, the growth hasn't been as exponential as it was. I think that after that, what ended up happening is 8th edition came out. A lot of the people that were just in 7th edition for balance purposes came back to 40k. And then Alan Bly died. Uh, then uh, book 8, uh, sorry, book 7 Tempest was not that well received by a lot of people because of Custodes um, and Thousand Suns just being so... Um, like the power level being a little bit off, a lot of people felt. Um, even though I still think that Tempest is internally consistent. That is to say, if you're playing with the armies in Tempest, the, it works very well. It's just that when you start playing Custodes against, you know, your your, your Warhounds, like, Custodes never faced Warhounds, so. <laughs> it's true. Thunder Warriors <laughs> did, but Custodes definitely didn't. Exactly. Uh, so I think um, that was that might have been a mistake <laughs> to make. Uh, but again, Alan Bly died around that time. And then the immense delay for it. So a lot of shit happened uh, that I think um, kneecapped the community, especially Alan Bly dying, because that, that man was doing the work of like 20 people. Mm. Um, so I think there was a decline in, in popularity around that time. But that said, I, I've rarely been so excited about the future of Heresy that we've seen in the last little while. Uh, one thing is the Warhammer community team, which is giving us sweet drip-fed content f- for the Thramus book, oh. like book nine that's going to be coming out sometime this year. So looking they, forward to that. That's going to be they, great, I hope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They gave us uh, previews of the Lions rules. They don't usually do that. Mm. Um, they gave us uh, a, a lot of them. The, the units coming up, they're, they're slowly drip feeding things. And it's, it's incredibly exciting, this stuff that's actually coming out. And it feels like uh, we're moving the res- uh, right direction. Uh, that, you know, with the stuff that uh, Neil and Anuj are doing over at the design team um, in, in, in the UK is just incredible. They've really picked up the pieces that were left on, by Alan Bly's, and, you know, unfortunate uh, passing. And the other thing that's great is that the Siege of Terror series, I think, injected a lot of excitement in the community. Because one of the problems with having a long book series 
that's going into the 60 books is that you don't know where to start. You, you don't know. It's hard to tell someone to just read like Horus Rising and then read another 55 books and then we'll talk about it and no spoilers. <laughs> the fact that you're starting a new series called the Siege of Terror series that's only like four books in. Yeah. That seems manageable. And yeah, it'd be best if you read all the Horus Heresy books, but you don't need to. This is a new series. You can jump on board. And I think that's, that's driving a lot of excitement. And the other thing I will say about like why this period is so positive for the heresy is the incredible work a lot of the community is doing. And once again, I want to shout out you, you wonderful Australians and people like uh, Andrew Hollis uh, that's uh, putting out this like amazing content and also the Mornival guys. It feels like the fan-made content is, is so strong these days. All of this going together, I, I, I think that it's injecting positivity to a community I think desperately needed it. So as far as I'm concerned, the heresy is doing great. 30K is doing fantastic. So tell us about the Age of Darkness podcast and where they can hear it and, and all the other things, your social medias. So anyways, the Age of Darkness podcast is um, it's a 30K podcast. Uh, we're one of the earlier ones. Our specialization is, is that we kind of look at 30K holistically in like the traditional term of holistic as in like we look at the whole. So we try to as much as possible and we don't always succeed, but we try as much as possible to have all the parts of the hobby represented in every episode. That is to say that we'll talk about some rule stuff, rule books, you know, like army list construction, stuff like that. We will also talk about some hobby. We'll talk about, you know, different painting styles and and, and, you know, like some painting tricks or stuff like that. And we'll also discuss the Black Library novels. And usually we split those up into like series. So because otherwise, like the episode would be like 10 hours long. Um, so uh, right now we're working on a series about Slaves of Darkness by John French, which is such a good book. And if you haven't read it, like definitely read it. Um, and, and we try to, you know, to cover all the bases in every episode uh, as much as we can. And yeah, if you want to check us out, um, you can find us uh, our Facebook page. Age Darkness on Facebook. I don't remember what exactly it is, uh, but it's easy to Google. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on your favorite podcatchers. If you want to send us an email, we're always uh, willing to answer. But as you've as you've realized, it might take me a couple of days. <laughs> Please check us out. We will try to uh, entertain you. Fantastic. That's excellent. JP, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate that. And again, really, really enjoy Age of Darkness podcast. Probably my favorite podcast out there at the moment. I really love the way you guys deconstruct the books. As someone who doesn't have time to read the books, I can still now follow along with what's going on because you guys actually dissect it so well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely like I'm uh, absolutely grateful to hear that. And thank you so much for having me on. It's always great to talk to people in the community.